When someone goes through vision loss, people tend to focus more on that person who's actually losing their sight, but they forget that there's tons of people around them that have now become sighted supporters. So I've got a very special guest here with me today to talk about that very topic. And that's coming up right now on episode number nine of Life After Sight Loss Radio. Welcome to Life After Sight Loss Radio, the podcast helping you discover life after sight loss. My name is Derek Daniel. I am your host and resident VIP, aka visually impaired person. If you're new to the program, welcome aboard. This is the place where we talk about life advice, encouragement, how-tos, and so much more, all with the express purpose of helping individuals and families facing or going through physical sight loss. Hey guys, I'm super excited about today's episode. You know, I'm kind of always excited about the episode, but today especially because we are going to talk about sighted supporters. And I've got a really special guest here with me today to talk about that very topic because I think it's really important. So she's somebody I've tried to get on my videos, on my podcast for a long time. She's an incredible person and I'm super excited to have her here. She has been a sighted supporter for almost 16 years now. She is a nurse, a wife, a mom. She is an awesome person. It is my wife, April. Hello, honey. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> You're not super excited like I am, right? <laughs> it's not that I'm not super excited. It's that you make me out to be a lot more than what I feel like I really am. Not true, honey. You are amazing. I tell people all the time that she is the meat to our family. Like, she's the substance. If you were eating a sandwich, I'd be the lettuce. She'd be, you know, the actual part that gives you sustenance. <laughs> and I'm blushing. My cheeks are like, I can feel the redness coming up in them. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Now, before we jump into everything, I want to let you know that you can find the show notes to this episode, which includes links, conversation, information, and more, all over at lifeaftersightloss.com slash 009. It's really important to get to those show notes, and I'm going to tell you why here in just a little bit. But you can find them at lifeaftersightloss.com slash 009. Normally, we hit news and updates at the top of the show, but when I have a guest, I want to give them all the time that I possibly can, so we'll forego the news and updates this week and give my wife tons of time. So again, when I say sighted supporter, let me go ahead and just define that. A sighted supporter is somebody whose life is directly affected by somebody losing their vision. So spouse, parent, child, close friend, family, things like that. It's not like somebody you met two weeks ago and now they lost their sight or somebody you went to college with and you heard that they lost their sight through the grapevine. This is somebody whose life is directly affected by that. So having my wife on today is very important and strategic because she fits that category very well. So honey, let's go back because we were together pre-sight loss. Uh, Let's go back to when we got together way back, way back in the way back machine. (laughs) Back to when we were 15 years old. Take us back for a second. What do you remember about that time when we were 15, back when I could see? When we were first dating? Or before that, even? No, like, I think when we first got together. Like, just just take us back to life in general. Like, you know, give us some idea of you and I at this, you know, ripe old age of 15, 16 years old. Immature comes to mind. (laughs) Um... 
we were wanting independence. We were thinking that life was grand and everything was fine and battling through high school relationships and hormones and crazy things. And, and we were definitely the on again, off again relationship in high school, you know, and that was all my fault. Like I, I, I'm the one. Yes. Yes. Listeners. I'm the one who broke up with her like 15 times. Only three. Only three. <laughs> And so it was all stupid stuff because, again, as she said, we were super immature and that's how it was. But I was the one who kept taking him back. Well, it's because I'm so awesome. That's what. (laughs) Right. Right. Yep. Just keep telling yourself. I will. I will continue. It helps my self-esteem. So I think that that time frame, you know, we were doing the normal stuff. We had lots of plans. I don't think we planned to get married necessarily in high school, but, you know, we had lots of plans and lots of things that we were going to do. And, you know, it was very exciting. And so, again, we got together when we were about 15 years old. All through high school, we dated until we graduated in 2001. So graduated in May of that year, and both of us had plans to go off to college to do great and wonderful things. Well, then that summer, and I think it was in June, I'm 99.9% sure, you and I were riding home from a date, and I was driving, and I reached up to you know close that right eye, and I could see that spot in my left eye. And I've told this story before on the podcast, but you know it's just that moment of like, oh, things are changing. When can you recollect that it was starting to really make a di- like this was really changing? Really, the first thing I remember is going to the hospital with you to have the steroids infused to try to decrease the swelling that you were having around your optic nerve. Mm. That's really the the first thing that I remember. Do you remember me calling you after a doctor's appointment one time and like weeping on the phone? I do remember that. And I was actually getting ready to go on vacation with my family. That's right. And I called my dad and I said, look, this is going on and I really think I need to stay. And he was very encouraging and supportive and let me stay behind so that I would be able to go with you. And that's when we went to the appointments for the steroids. Yeah, that's right. So I went to the eye doctor and the ophthalmologist and of course they were testing for a lot of things at that point, brain tumors and MS and so forth. And so then I rem- I'll never forget, I was calling you in the car from my four and a half pound cell phone. <laughs> and I was like, blind. you know, I was just weeping. And I think it was one of those things where I was like, this is real. You know, this is really going on. And so, yeah, you and I went to the hospital because they pumped me full of steroids for three days. Like I got the IV in my hand and they kept it in there. I remember they tried to put it in my arm and I thought I was going to pass out. So I was like, this is real, real macho in front of my girlfriend. <laughs> Right now. So that's for you. That's when it really started to become real. Right. Do you remember the first time we talked about being blind? Like, do you because I remember the first time I heard it and I've shared that. But do you remember when it was like blindness, like visual impairment? That's sort of no, thing? not really, because even from the day that you told me and we went to the hospital and had the infusions done, it was kind of like we just slipped into this is our new normal. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do to cope and to transition into this new, quote, normal life. And I really don't remember a day that I was like, oh, he's blind. Like, mm. this is not not going to change. This is not going to get better. This is what it is. And that's where we went there. And we've talked about before that it, it was such an easy transition, even though it was completely unexpected. It really was an easy transition into the way life was going to be from that point on. Yeah. And I think some of that was just the place we were in life. We were very like optimistic and hopeful with the new things coming on the horizon, that sort of thing. So listeners, don't let us fool you. We have had, you know, bad, oh, absolutely. Bad moments just in that first, I, I think just the way our relationship works and the way that we are, we just had that moment of like slipping into it naturally. I think you could debate all day about soulmates and being made for one another. But the point is, we had that just wonderful blessing, whatever you want to call it, that we didn't have horrible shift 
you know, the transition for us wasn't awful. Right. So then you went off to college and I stayed home. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, when it got kind of rough for us. Because I can remember talking to you and you were off doing your thing and I was home alone and like, hey, talk to me every night. You're like, I got to go be with people. (laughs) Well, I needed to study. I needed to do my homework. I had schoolwork to do. And then there was my side of things where I felt guilty because I couldn't talk to you all the time because I knew that you were facing this and that the friends that we had graduated with had gone off to college as well and you were sort of left behind. And Mm -hmm. I I felt guilty about leaving you behind. I felt guilty about being at college and not having the time for you that you wanted me to have for you. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I needed to have time for me so that I could focus on college itself. Yeah. And I think that's such, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And we're going to talk more about that as we go along. But the idea of feeling guilty is such a huge thing for a sighted supporter for a lot of reasons. Like you said, in that moment, you felt guilty for, quote unquote, leaving me behind and going on and moving forward and not having, quote unquote, not enough time for me, which, again, nobody would suggest you needed to feel guilty for that. Like you were, you know, doing your thing. It was your moment. It was college. It was whatever. But sighted supporters feel that way. It's kind of like survivor guilt, I think, a lot of times right? when you feel like I'm moving on and they're stuck and and they Mm -hmm. can't move on. And that can be difficult. So guilt is something that happens to every sided supporter, I feel like, regardless of if they're 18 or 50 or whatever. It's it's across the board. And we'll get into more of that as we go along, because I think that's a familiar thread, you know, as we go through things. But eventually I did get to go to college. I ended up going for the second semester. And at that time I had a guide dog. My life was quite a bit different at that point. What was your recollection of how I was living at, you know, with Scout or my guide dog and living at college and that sort of thing? How had I changed, do you think, over the time? And how had you changed? I think you had changed quite a bit because you were a little less confident in who you were and your surroundings, of course, because being in a new place is always worrisome when it comes to a visually impaired person and not knowing where to go or how to get there. So I think that that was a big thing that I saw in you. You didn't go out as much. You didn't make those relational connections that you normally would make without any problems and that you do make now without any problem. Mm -hmm. For me, we went to separate colleges, but they were only about an hour to an hour and a half apart. So every weekend I would drive to your college and pick you up and we would go home for the weekend, which all in all is about a three hour drive. So each weekend we were doing that. And I've looked back on that many times in our lives and thought that was very taxing on me to have to go down every weekend and get you and come home. You know, some weekends I would have liked to have stayed at college and and done my thing and whatnot. But again, it was one of those guilt type Mm -hmm. things that you didn't have the relationships that you needed where you were. So I need, I wanted, and I felt guilty not being that support that you needed at that time. So do you think you took on a lot more of the burden of that for like holding up the relationship in? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think that's another key thing for sighted supporters. They feel the burden of like holding up the relationship, not only the relationship, whether it's a parent child, whether it's spouse, whether it's family, whatever, they hold up that end of the relationship. Plus, if there's other relationships, they feel like they then have to keep those connected as well. Right. And so that can be very difficult. Was there a moment when it was like, did I did I come across, because I'm trying to remember myself, did I come across like, 
hey, you have to come pick me up all the time? Or was it just like unspoken and just you took it on yourself? I feel like it was more unspoken and I did take it on myself. But I'm the kind of person who takes on tasks, even though someone doesn't necessarily say, hey, can you do this? Or Mm -hmm. I need you to do this or this needs to be done. If I see something and I think it needs to be done, I'm going to do it. So it was more so unspoken, but it was something that I felt like I needed to do. Yeah. So I think you just take it upon yourself. And I think that happens pretty naturally, you know, and, and everybody's a little different, but it happens with sighted supporters. They feel they take on a bunch of the burden, a bunch of the responsibilities. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get into more responsibilities as well. So we transition, we go to college, we end up moving, you know, where we were from and transferring colleges and that sort of thing. And we actually got engaged at the end of 2001. And then we got married when we were 20, which we do not advise people get married <laughs> when they're 20. Not that we are, you know, it's terrible or anything, but having a little more maturity, a little more time under the belt, if you will, we don't advise that at this point. But we got married when we were 20. Do you think you knew what it was going to be like married to a blind person at that point? No. I mean, th- that's the thing. Like, people are like, oh, you married this and blah, blah, blah. But you, it's, I mean, you knew what you were signing up for in the sense that you knew I was blind, but I don't think the fullness of what that meant right. could have been known at that point. Absolutely not. Because you're not thinking when you get married, you're not thinking about the logistical things of taking care of a household or taking care of children, of transportation to and from a job. You're thinking about, oh, I love this person and I want to spend the rest of my life with them. And you're sort of blinded by the love that you have for that person. (laughs) No pun intended. Right. And you don't see the practical and logistical things to come. Yeah, I agree. And and so I think that's the thing, because I know sighted supporters like spouses that have, you know, their spouses lost vision way, you know, into their marriage. And they're like, well, I didn't sign up for this. And, and the blind person's like, well, I didn't sign up for this either. <laughs> but even when you marry somebody who is blind, it's not like you fully know everything that's going to happen. Not at all. So it's not like you're like, well, I, you know, then it's not like you're saying, well, I did sign up for this. Like, well, I signed up for marriage for you. But all these things, I wasn't necessarily ready and prepared for for completely. Right. And I think that's just how it is. So we get married and we live in an area where you're still going to school. We're still doing that. And that's when I think, you know, I I think it got difficult for a while too, just because we were trying to figure out what was I going to do. I remember you were in clinicals because you're you're a nurse and you were in clinicals and you'd have to get up really early. And I can remember I would stay up all night and then wait till you got up. We'd have breakfast together and then you'd go off and I'd go to bed. Yep. It was like I had a night job only I had no jobs. Right. (laughs) And I think some of that too was like depression on my end and staying up in the night and things of that nature. All those little things that started to, from moving and having jobs and all that sort of thing, we started to figure out what I could and couldn't do Mm -hmm. and then what you would, you know, naturally pick up. Because I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think the sighted spouse especially and other relationships, they become the default if you're going to do it, well, it's going to default to you right. unless we somehow figure it out. Yep. Is there something you remember specifically about when we were kind of first married, things that you had to do that you kind of just picked up that I couldn't do? Most of the things that needed to be done, I was, the def- like you said, the default person to do it. I, and I'm just thinking practically here. Sure. You know, laundry, cooking, because you really had never cooked much even when you could see. You had never done laundry even when you could see. Mm-hmm. Those things I automatically did, which some people will say, well, as a wife, that's what you should be doing, but I don't see it that way. 
It's, and that's not how it works in our relationship that, now. No, it is not. So I think those kind of things. And then when we moved into our house, then we had to think about things like getting the lawn mowed and then just having things fixed around the house. Luckily, your parents lived close and your dad was readily available to help us out with things. But when it came to larger fixes, like we had to have a fence fixed, you know, you couldn't do that. So it defaulted to me to figure out who to call and how to get it done. Those kind of things defaulted to me as well. Whereas I feel like in a in a normal sided relationship, the husband usually will be the one to take on the fixing of whatever might be. And I think that we're not jumping into gender roles by not any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. But I think in a normal situation, it's not even something where you have to think about those things. You take care of it or you work together to take care of it, whatever right. the, the situation is. But because of that, I think, again, it starts to default to the spouse. So even if you're like, well, you know, Derek, you could have done those things or you could have, you know, worked. I get it and I understand and that's how we do it now. I, you know, I do those things. But I think when you're first, you know, because again, this was, you know, just a few years into me losing sight. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we had a decade of sight loss before that. I mean, this was just a few years. And so we didn't know and we were just trying to figure it out. And what happens is it it defaults to the sighted person, the sighted parent, the sighted spouse, the sighted, you know, family members. And not uh, only were we just a few years into your blindness, but also into marriage. So you know, in the first few years of marriage, you are figuring out your roles in your relationship and how things are going to work. And then you finally settle into those roles. And the same thing with a sighted supporter and the visually impaired person, you are figuring out how your roles are going to work. Absolutely. And I say that just because I think you might be listening and saying, well, why didn't you do those things? Well, again, you have to understand that situations are unique and different. And you might be in a situation where you say like, oh, well, my spouse lost their sight and now I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. It might take you some time to figure it out, you know, and that's okay. Like it might take you a little bit to go, well, they're going to do this and everything might default to you for a few moments, you know, for six months, a year, who knows how long, Mm -hmm. but slowly I think you do figure it out and you figure out what the visually impaired person can do depending on their level of vision. And then they end up doing that. But because of grief and loss and, you know, all that sort of thing, then, you know, it can take some time. Speaking of grief, loss, sorrow, that sort of thing, as a sighted supporter, they experience those emotions, but so often we focus on the visually impaired person because, you know, their emotions and they're going through it and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk for just a second about some of the emotions that you go through as a sighted supporter that maybe don't get talked about a whole lot because of the guilt you feel, you know, like, well, I shouldn't say this or, you know, this is bad to say because my husband's blind or whatever. So I know for, you know, the person losing their sight, there's obviously sadness, there's sorrow, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's whatever, all the, you know, anxiety, all those sort of things. But for you as a sighted supporter, are there things that you feel, you know, those I've mentioned and others, are those things that you feel? And if you do, what happened, like what brings it up and, and how do you feel in those moments? Absolutely. We feel those things. Pretty well, all of the emotions that you said, but the one that stands out the most to me is just frustration. I get frustrated like when I'm trying to explain how something works and you can't see what I'm saying or you can't really imagine it because the way I'm explaining it doesn't make sense in your head. I get frustrated when I have to be the one who transports the kids to everything that they do. If I'm available, then I'm the I'm again the default person who's going to transport them places. And then if I'm not available, say I'm working because I am a nurse, I work weekends, I work holidays. If I'm not available, then we have to find someone to take the child 
and or take you and the child to the practice or the recital or the event, whatever it might be. So that that frustration is evident. And that's something that is evident really in an everyday life sort of way. Well, and I think that the phrase frustration, like we don't talk about that a lot because I think, again, it comes back to that guilt. Like, well, you shouldn't be frustrated. Your husband's blind. Right. You know. And it's not that I feel frustration towards you. I feel frustration at the situation. Mm, it ha- it's point. really not frustration that is directed specifically at you. It's just that it's the way our life is. And it's frustrating at times because people have lives. Other people that we ask to help transport or help, you know, fix something that's broken, that's a friend, you know, they have other lives, they have jobs, they have things that they're doing. So we have to work around their schedule just as much as we have to work around our schedule. That's such a key thing that you said was that it's not frustration directed towards me. It's frustration at the situation. And I think that's a key thing for, you know, sighted spouse, you know, sighted parents, sighted children, because it can be very frustrating whenever it's like this is happening and I have to deal with it in this way. It's frustrating because it's not your choice. You know, it wasn't your choice that I lost my sight. I mean, it wasn't mine either, but it wasn't your choice that I lost my sight. And so some people would say like, well, you chose to marry him. So it was your choice. Like, no, it wasn't my choice that the person that I loved lost their sight. Exactly. And so you're frustrated at the situation. You're angry at the sight loss, angry at the disease or, you know, whatever, but not at me. However, that can come out and cause arguments with people, you know, because they Mm -hmm. get frustrated and they're yelling at one another. So it's important to remember, without going into a bunch of counseling here, it's important to remember that you're angry at what has happened. Uh, You're angry that your life has changed because you didn't get a choice to change it. Uh, It's stressful enough if you choose to move, if you choose to change jobs, if you choose to have a baby, that's stressful enough, but you at least made the choice. Right. You know, here you didn't get to make that choice and then you're having to make choices because of it. And so I think the frustration always comes out and it's important to recognize recognize that and deal with it because if you never get to talk about it, if you never get to share those things, then, you know, it comes bottled up and it's like the Coke bottle, you know, you undo it. It's Absolutely. Like, so, so you deal with frustration, you know, like you said, deal with anger, you know, some anxiety, those kinds of things, guilt, as we've talked about, probably, probably guilt. And then you feel those things and then you feel guilty for feeling those things, you know, <laughs> all those sort of things is that vicious cycle. But, you know, regardless, those things are going to happen. And it's important to talk about those things. Talk about those things with your spouse, your child, your parent, whomever. But maybe talk about those things with somebody else, counselors, therapists, mentors, good friends, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Has Do you think it's it's helpful? You know, has it been helpful? Have you found situations where you've been able to just kind of vent that stuff with other people? Yeah, I have a good friend who we get together at least at once every couple of weeks and we talk about life in general and I get to vent to her about the things that I find frustrating with blindness and with marriage and all of that stuff. So it is good to have someone to vent to, even though she doesn't really understand. I'm not having to vent to you all the time so that you're then hearing how frustrating your blindness is (laughs) on top of living through it yourself. Right. Well, and I think that's another great point you just brought up is the understanding. So this friend may not completely understand, you know, like fully. But here's the thing. I don't think we need to fully understand everything to be compassionate, to be, quote, understanding and empathetic and that sort of thing. Because a lot of times when I was searching this, a lot of times what I saw was it was either how do I help my visually impaired spouse, parent, child, Mm -hmm. or how do I help my spouse understand my visual impairment? And the reality is 
you'll probably never understand it unless you go blind, which we don't want. So I'm really fine with you not understanding it, you know. Right. And we have to be okay with people not completely understanding it, yet being compassionate enough to be empathetic and, and listen and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. just bear that in mind. If you talk to someone, they may not 100% understand, but that won't stop them from being compassionate and listening. And sometimes you just need to verbal vomit and get it out. <laughs> And then from there, you can just, you know, okay, I feel better. I got that out. And it just depends on your situation and and the type of person that you are. Maybe you need to journal. You know, maybe you need to talk to somebody, whatever the case is. But it's important just to get that out and say, you know, here it is. Because in a relationship, it's hard to talk about the person with the person, you know. (laughs) So as a sighted supporter, what are some of the responsibilities? Uh, We've talked about them a little bit. Obviously, you drive everywhere, you know, as a spouse. If we go to Florida, you either have to drive or we have to pay the money to fly. Which which we do. We pay the money to fly because it's like, oh, driving's awful. Uh, I don't even want to ride for 14 hours, you know, so forget that. But you have to drive everywhere. You have to check things. You have to make sure that things are the way they are. For example, the other day, our, our son came home from a camping trip and he got in the shower while I was here, but his feet were filthy and so you walked in the door and you had to tell him that his feet were filthy and go and to go wash them right and so you have to be aware of all those things and we talked about that briefly but I think it's one of those moments where you don't get to come and just be you actually are like you're always on does that make sense I'm always on guard like looking for things that maybe didn't get done completely or didn't get done correctly that you've tried or the kids have tried but it's not necessarily done as well as it needs to be and so it's like you're always just you have that awareness you know and that's probably stressful in and of itself and I'm not a perfectionist I am a little picky but I'm not a perfectionist like my house is not spotless I don't expect it to be spotless I don't expect my kids to be dressed to the nines and be perfect but but at the same time, I want their feet to be clean. <laughs> yes, that is, we do want their feet to be clean. <laughs> you know, it's just little things like that, that you're, you know, you're always having to pay attention. And I think even the kids, because I would consider them sighted supporters as well, mm-hmm. uh, even the kids, like our daughter who's uh, seven, she'll now, without even, you know, me having brought it up or any of us, she'll look back when we're walking and say, Daddy, there's a step. You know, here comes some steps, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. She's chosen that on her own to do those sort of things. And she's become aware of that, that, you know, I might need some help. And so I never want to discourage that. Now, obviously, they're not responsible for me as a person. I'm still an adult and I'm responsible for them, not the other way around. Right. But they have stepped into that role and they're helpful and, you know, they're, you know, might read something for me here and there and that sort of thing. So as sighted supporters, whether you're the spouse, the kid, the parent, whatever, you're going to naturally step into that and not, I don't even think you're going to realize that you're kind of always looking and always making sure that things, you know, just just in case. Right. You know, just in case. Well, and it's also at times can be a safety thing. You know, I'm wanting I'm watching to make sure the kids don't leave toys in the middle of the floor that you're going to trip and fall over or that they've, you know, cleaned up all of their crayons that you're not going to step and step on them and crush them all and then they're going to be devastated because their crayons are <laughs> broken in pieces. Well, they shouldn't have left them. That's what I <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it's always one of those things. I mean, one of the big ones I always think about is the swimming pool. You know, mm-hmm. swim I've never been a great swimmer and I'm not I don't love the water, but it freaks me out even more now having our kids in the water. I'm I'm constantly counting on you as a sighted person to make sure they're not drowning and things like that. So we want them to be good swimmers and again, we're responsible for them. Right. You know, it's not like, hey, 
I can't see. So you're if you drown, it's your own fault. Like you know, like <laughs> that, that's, we can't depend on the children to be responsible in that way. We're the adults. But it can get scary as a blind person. So as a sighted supporter, I know that you take on that responsibility. Right. You know, and all of this is is subconsciously. You're not actively thinking like, now I'm going to go home and make sure everything's taken care of. It's just part of mm-hmm. part of the job that you have. But again, like you said about coming home and finding things that are wrong, it's the same thing with them being in the pool or them being at the park. I can't sit with you at the park and read a book or really do anything that takes my attention away from them because I have to constantly be watching them to make sure that they're safe, that they're not wandering off, that they're not going with strangers. So I'm not able to really relax when I go to the pool or the park with them and allow you to watch them. I have to be the one to do it. And it can, again, that that frustration, yep. that feeling like a, you know, that, that burden that you take on. And again, for the visually impaired person, they can feel like a burden in that moment. But, sure. And know. I don't want people to think that I don't, I'm shucking my responsibility as a parent, that that's what I want to do. That's not it at all. It's that I'm constantly responsible for them. I can't allow you to have that responsibility in those type of situations. Right. You have that responsibility on a daily basis because I'm working. But in those type of situations, I'm the one responsible for keeping an eye on them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's different for every person, every couple. Uh, every person has a little bit different visual acuity and, and what they can see and what they can handle and things like that. What we're pointing out here is that the sighted supporter takes on a lot of responsibility that if you married a sighted person, if you were parents of a sighted person, you wouldn't take on that responsibility. Right. You wouldn't have that to take on. And so you got to keep that in mind that as you take it on, it's probably going to, it's like, you know, carrying a big bag around. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be, you know, some cumbersome at times. And I don't want to say, well, that's just part of the job. But it's important to remember that so that you can handle it. You can take care of yourself. You can have those moments of venting or whatever the case is. Have other people to help you, whatever the case is. You can't take it on all by yourself. Uh, You've got to have, you know, good people in your life. So again, we're continuing talking about like just taking on that sense of responsibility and burden for yourself and for all the things you have to do. But one of the things I think the sighted supporters, they feel it, but I don't think they actively think about it is the grief and loss that you feel for your spouse, child, parent, whatever. I don't know if you can talk about that much. We probably don't think about it too much now, but if you lost a loved one, I would be sad because of the pain that you're in. Mm -hmm. So... Have there ever been moments where you are sad because of the pain that I've been in because of a visual impairment? Well, going back to college, when we transferred schools, we were much closer together. So we saw each other a couple times, probably three or four times a week, we would see each other. Mm -hmm. And I would, I remember coming into your college dorm room and it's trashed. I mean, Mm -hmm. you left cups and bowls and food and everything everywhere. So that was kind of your, I feel like it was your kind of major depressive it was. stage in your vision loss. It was a big depression. Like that, yeah. that moment in college was re- like, I wouldn't get out of bed and my roommate had to make sure my guide dog went out to the bathroom. You know, yep. it was big, big moments of depression. Yep. So I remember feeling sadness for you in those moments because it wasn't necessarily that you left a bowl there and you forgot it was there. It was you just didn't care. Mm, You didn't care that you were sleeping all the time. You didn't care that your stuff was a complete disaster. So I think that was the most sad moment um, in the process of 
losing your sight. Yeah, it, it definitely was for me. I mean, depression, it's going to hit at some point, I feel like, for Absolutely. people. You know, it hit me in that moment with college, and, and I don't, I can't tell you why those moments it hit. I actually was in a better, quote-unquote, situation. I had a roommate who was just a great friend and still a great friend. I had, it was a much smaller campus, so I get around a little better. I had theater to be involved in. I was involved in a choir. So you would think naturally, just looking in, oh, this is going to be better, but it was probably some of the worst depression at that moment. But at the same time, I felt like you felt safer in that situation, even though that college wasn't your home. That was a dorm room. It wasn't your house. But you had friends closer. I was closer. Your parents were closer. So you felt more safe in that situation to be able to have this you know, depression overcome you. You didn't feel like you were all alone and that you weren't going to be supported. Right. You had people surrounding you to support you and love you. So then another thing I, I was thinking of, we were, went to a wedding a couple weeks ago that you performed and we were driving and the sky was beautiful and it was just blue with the white fluffy clouds and I will make mention of how blue the sky is every once in a while and mm-hmm. I catch myself saying that thinking he can't see that. You don't see things like that. You don't see that the sky is blue and even if you did, the colors are messed up and mm-hmm. things like that too. So you even if you could see it, you don't see it the way I would see it. So things like that catch me off guard. And we've talked about being able to see the kids and watch them grow up and everything. I mean, luckily, our kids are used to you being in their face because you we've done that (laughs) since they were tiny. Yes, they were used to having their personal space invaded so that you could really see the details of who they are and Mm -hmm. who they're becoming. But it's harder as they get older because they want their own personal space. And right. You know, they love you and they hug you and let you love on them. But at the same time, they don't do it quite as long as they used to. So that kind of gives a little bit of sadness there, too, because they are growing up. Right. And and I think that's another good point to make. You know, we talked about things in the past and all the way up to things now. So there's going to be different moments whenever emotions come up. And yeah. it can happen at any time. Like, I didn't even think about not seeing the sky that day, but you did. Right. And so for you, it was a sadness moment. Now, did it ruin the day? No, you know, but it, it does happen. And I think it's important to recognize it. You don't have to necessarily sit in it all day, but it's important to recognize it, that there's sadness welling up, not because you are feeling sad about your own life, but you're feeling sad for your spouse, parent, child, whatever you yeah. are. You are having because you love somebody, you're connected to somebody. And that sadness is there. Even if the visually impaired person is not outwardly saying it, you might be feeling it and you might say well oh I'm so sad you can see the sky and they're like whatever <laughs> you know it, it's, it is what it is but it's okay for you to feel sad about it you know it, it's it's okay as you as a sighted supporter for you to go through those emotions now we've talked about things that you have to do because I'm visually impaired you know we talked about driving and we've talked about mowing the yard we've talked about just all those sort of things but let's kind of flip the script here and in our household you know we always say blindness is not an excuse here so what are things that either you not that you make me do but you expect of me as a husband as a father as a part of the household what are some things that it's like i'm not going to give you a pass just because you're visually impaired emptying the dishwasher <laughs> your most hated chore of oh, the house I itself. hate the dishwasher i would pay money to have somebody do the yep. dishwasher i mean a lot of the household things are the examples that first come to mind you clean the bathrooms you empty the dishwasher you cook dinner you help the kids with their homework you're blind does not stop you from doing those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the first things that come to mind. Can you think of anything that 
it's not something that you necessarily make me do. It's something like if I leave something out, like just, oh, yeah. the, just the other night I left something out. And honestly, looking back at it, I could say out of sight, out of mind. And it's probably true in some sense, but that's not an excuse. Right. You know, it's not like you're like, oh, it's fine. You know? I mean, and I used to let you get away with that all the time. But then that frustration started building up. Like, I cannot stand that you can't pick up after yourself. <laughs> and I know that that's a male thing some as of that's well. that's just laziness, honestly. It's not, and laziness. It's not impairment. But you would use the out of sight, out of mind. I didn't see it. I forgot it was there. And I just got to the point where it's like, that's not an excuse anymore. It can't be an excuse because that means I'm going to pick up after a third child constantly. Right. And I don't want to do that. You're my husband. We're in this together. This is a partnership. And you need to remember to pick up your stuff. Absolutely. And and I think it goes for if you have a child who is visually impaired, you as a parent, probably especially as a parent, would feel very guilty like, oh, I'll help them or, you know, I'll do this for them or whatever. And it's just like they're going to grow up and have to be responsible. So at some point you got to challenge them and be like, this isn't a good enough excuse anymore. Well, I don't want to do a disservice to you to make you think or let you think that I'm going to pick up after you and everything that you do. And the same way with my children, I don't pick up after them for everything that they leave out. If they leave out their toy and it gets broken, then that's not my fault. You should have picked it up. It's, it's one of those things where an excuse that, you know, I can't drive because I'm visually impaired. That's a good excuse. Like, please don't drive. Please don't drive. But, you know, things like that, there are just situations where you have to challenge, you know, as a sighted supporter, you have to like let the guilt and, and let whatever you have go and just realize what's best for the person, what's best for the situation, your family and friends, whatever, and just challenge the person because I'm not saying do this in the first three months, but we've been together forever. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, eventually you got to be a dad, you got to be a father, you got to be a husband, you got to be part of this family and visual impairment cannot stop that sure there are things you can't do like driving obviously the big example and just different situations you know maybe you have to do them differently but at the end of the day you still got to be you're still a a husband you're still a dad you're still whatever and you got to do that so i think that's important to remember especially as a sighted supporter you've got to be willing to challenge at times and do it with love do it with care but you got to do it Right. I think it's important. So what would you say is probably, maybe this is a broad question, but if you could say for for your own personal vantage point, what's the hardest thing, or maybe not the hardest, but one really hard thing in your life about being a sighted supporter? I think the main thing is just the added responsibility that comes with being a sighted supporter. You know, the things we talked about earlier, being responsible for the kids, being responsible for household things that are not necessarily or shouldn't necessarily be one person's responsibility. It should be both people's responsibility. But in our situation, it just isn't. So I think the added responsibility is tough because as we talked about before, I'm constantly thinking about what needs to be done next, what has to be done so that the house can function or so that our lives can go on just as normal married couples would, but they would normally do it, you know, both together. I'm the one that's more responsible for making sure that those logistical things happen. I think you're right. I think the added responsibility, because I I think it's so much more than just responsibility, then it brings on the frustration, the anger, the whatever, you know, it brings on all those things. So I think that's, that's a great point. And because of the added responsibility, I feel like I have less me time. Like I have Mm. less time for myself to be able to focus on relaxing or just, yeah, relaxing is the main thing. Mm. I have less time to think about being able to do things for myself because I'm constantly thinking about what needs to be done next for who. Absolutely. I think, I think your brain constantly runs, you know, in that moment. And that's the way my brain works 
anyway, so to add on the added responsibility of a sided supporter just makes it that much worse, probably. <laughs> so true. So with all the added responsibilities and all the emotional things that, that take place, I think one of the questions is, for the sided supporter, what does a bad day look like for you? Now, just a bit of context here. I've talked about it before with visually impaired people. You know, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have sad days, mad days. And it can look different for visually impaired people. It can look like depression. It can look like not wanting to get out of bed. It can look like a lot of different things. But for the sighted supporter who has all this responsibility, what does a bad day or fill in the blank kind of a low day look like for you? Well, I think a bad day for me is a day that I, you know, just don't really feel real motivated to do anything to begin with. And, you know, everybody has those kind of days no matter what. But when it comes out and on top of all the responsibility, then it makes it really hard because truthfully, I get a little jealous of you. Because if I have a day where I have to go to work, I'm here working 12 hours and you're not. Not that I want to switch places with you. I I know that I don't want to be blind. I mm-hmm. I like to be able to see. But I get jealous that I'm the one who has to go to work. Um, if I'm not working and I have a day like that, I'm also jealous of you because I'm the one taking the kids to their appointments, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, whether it's dance or scouts or soccer, whatever they're they're going to, I'm the one responsible for taking them to those things. I'm the responsible for getting groceries. If it's a grocery day, then mm-hmm. I have to get groceries. And I truthfully get frustrated and sometimes I just get a little bitter as well Mm -hmm. because I'm the one who has to be out there doing all of that and you are at home. Now, granted, you're at home taking care of the kids, you know, I'll take them to their event and then I'll bring them home and leave them with you and I'll go do what needs to be done next. Mm -hmm. So you are, you have responsibility and you're fulfilling those responsibilities, but I'm the one who's out getting everything done and I can't just crawl into bed and say, forget it. And, and I think for those of you listening, I think it's important to remember if you're saying, well, oh, your husband should do these things and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, you have to remember every situation is different. You know, everybody's situation is unique and there are situations that we can't completely understand. And I'm not saying like, hey, you know, don't say I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there are moments where everybody has unique situations going on. And so in this situation, you know, jealousy and bitterness and all those sort of things rise up. But it's hard to say those things because that makes you, you know, that might make you sound like a bad person. Like, oh, you're jealous of your blind husband? That's horrible. But it's like, I'm not jealous of his blindness. I just wish I had a moment to stop. I wish I had a moment to not do these things. Exactly. And, and I think that's what you have to remember and take away from that is not that, well, your husband should go grocery shopping or your husband should blah, 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 whatever. There's just certain things that as a visually impaired person, you just can't do anymore. And that's not to say you can't go grocery shopping. That's not to say you can't Uber and take your kids places. But when it starts to default and whatever's easiest for your family, that's what you end up doing. But sometimes the easy thing can be very frustrating and difficult at times. And again, that's what a bad day looks like. I'm sure you don't feel that way every single day. Absolutely you know, not. Week. No. Um, we're just talking about bad days, you know, sad days, those moments. So we talked about all this and we're rolling towards the end of this. And as we always do, what's if you had one piece of advice for a sighted supporter, spouse, whatever, what would it be, you know, from you? I would say just keep those lines of communication open with your VIP because that communication allows you to tell the person what you're feeling and then allows that person to do the same with you, tell them, tell you how they're feeling. I'm not the best communicator. I kind of do like the Coke bottle a lot of times. I'll just push it all down and then it just explodes. Mm-hmm. But when we do communicate, it's good Yeah, because Derek is very understanding and he's encouraging and he 
doesn't know how I feel and I don't know how he feels, truthfully. But when we can best express to each other how we are feeling, it makes everything better. And I think, like you said, if you can keep those lines of communication open, it helps you understand that you're not angry at the person. You're angry at the situation. Right. You know, and that other person can listen. And then, you know, like you said, the VIP can help to express their emotions and their feelings and realize that it's like, okay, you're not mad at me and I'm not mad at you. Mm -hmm. We're just frustrated at this situation. And I understand in certain situations, like if your child is the VIP, you're not going to put the burden of your emotions on them. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to, you know, release all of your emotions onto your child, (laughs) but just have someone that you can communicate with, you know, whether it's your spouse or a friend or a parent or another sided supporter that you can, you know, what do you do? How do you deal with this? Things like that so that you aren't bottling it all up and then exploding on your child later. Right. Absolutely. And I think you can be age appropriate with your child. I don't think you want to tell your five-year-old that you hate they're blind. Like, you know, I'm not sure that would be helpful. But as they get older and as you feel they can understand what you're talking about, our son has asked before, do you like being blind? And I'm like, no, I hate being blind. It's terrible. Uh, So I'm able to kind of express that and just tell him why, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, So as he gets older, you know, I might be able to share more with him from my vantage point. And I hope as he gets older, he'll be able to share with me, you know, well, dad, I really I hated when you were blind too. Like I hated when you couldn't take us to things and that sort of thing. And it might be hard to hear at first, but it's my son expressing and sharing. And so if the roles are reversed, if you're the parent and your child is visually impaired, then again, be age appropriate, but try to keep those lines of communication open. I think that's a great piece of advice from my very full of substance wife. So I think that was great. Good uh, good piece of advice and to take that away. All right. So we've done a lot of talking today and this is probably going to be the longest podcast I've produced so far. So if you made it all the way towards the end here, congratulations. I hope that it was encouraging to you and helpful. And if you're a sighted supporter, we just want to encourage you that what you're doing is awesome and amazing and you're just as important. And yes, your life has changed as well. What you have to feel and think and express is just as important as the visually impaired person. So honey, thank you. And by the way, I've called her honey since we were 15, I think. So honey, thank you for being part of the podcast today. I think it was great. And you had such wonderful insights to offer people. Great. All right, guys. Well, another big shout out to my wife, thanking her for being a part of the show this week. Uh, We had a lot of great discussion. It was so exciting. And uh, gosh, I can't wait to have her back for another round because it was just so fun to have her here on the show. Hey, did you find today's episode helpful or encouraging? I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you have questions for me, for my wife, comments, something you'd like to share. I'd love to hear from you. You just need to go to lifeaftersightloss.com slash contact, and you can find all the links there to get in touch with me. Me. And if you have a question or comment from my wife, I will pass it along to her. Just send it right over to me, lifeaftersightloss.com slash contact. And hey, while you're out there surfing the World Wide Web, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss another single episode of all this content coming at you each and every week. Just go to lifeaftersightloss.com slash podcast and you'll get the links for uh, Apple Podcast and Google Play and Stitcher and your favorite podcast catchers. You can listen to all the episodes right there and get the links so that you can subscribe so that you don't miss another single episode. And a lot of people ask for ratings and reviews 
reviews on their podcast, which is great and wonderful, but the best way to help out the podcast is to share it with somebody you know. Maybe there's a person who's going through sight loss. Maybe there's a family member who'd love to hear this thing about sighted supporters. Make sure you tell them about it. Put it on your Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, and let other people know so that you can help this podcast grow. And finally, guys, don't forget to hop on over to the show notes for this episode, which you can find at lifeaftersightloss.com slash zero zero nine. That's lifeaftersightloss.com slash zero zero nine. Now, this week, the show notes are very special because my wife and I did something I'm calling After Hours, which is basically an extension of the podcast and a little segment we record after it's all over. So, in the feed, in the subscriber feed, they're going to get the normal podcast. But if you want to get the the after hours, all you got to do is go to the show notes and sign up and you're going to get those totally free. This week, we're going to talk about self-care and how you can take care of yourself as a sighted supporter. So hop on over to lifeaftersightloss.com slash 009, sign up, and I'll send you that free bonus content after hours and i know that you'll enjoy it and that's going to wrap it up for another episode of life after sight loss radio thank you so much for joining me this week i hope it was encouraging and you'll come back for our next episode and until next time remember that sight loss isn't the end it's just the beginning my name is Derek daniel from lifeaftersightloss.com and i'll see you in the next one All the content in this podcast and on lifeaftersightloss.com is intended for educational and informational purposes only. If you're in need of medical, legal, or professional advice, please seek out a specialist in your area.